Hi there, I'm James Latwell. I'm your host today on Authors on the Air Radio Network, and it's my pleasure to bring you Reed Farrell Coleman. Reed is a is a fixture in the mystery community, and he's a, a fantastic author. Let me just give you a brief bio of, of Reed and what he's about. Reed's been called a hard-boiled poet by NPR's Maureen Corrigan and a noir poet laureate. Poet, poet laureate. See, I'm not the poet laureate. Uh, in the Huffington Post. Reed is the author of 33 novels, including six in the Jesse Stone series for the estate of Robert B. Parker. He's a four-time Seamus Award recipient for Best PI Novel of the Year and four-time Edgar Award nominee in three different categories. He's also received the Scribe, Audie, McCavity, Anthony, and Barry Awards. He's a former executive vice president of Mr. Writers of America and a former adjunct instructor at Hofstra University. Reed was a founding member of the MWA University, and his next Nick Ryan novel, which I'm glad to see, hear about, is Blind to Midnight, and that's scheduled for release from Blackstone in 2024, and he lives with his wife in Long Island. Welcome, Reed. Well, welcome. I, I've never been called a fixture before. <laughs> you are a fixture, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but in a good way, not like move, yes. the, move the dust yes. bunnies or anything. Yeah, no, it's, it's always... Uh, it's always great to see you at a conference. You know, it's it, you're one of those kind of, for me at least, a touchstone that's like, okay, Reed's here, things are gonna be okay. You know, so it's it's good to see you. Yeah, that's a commentary on your life, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> it may be, but I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're here to talk about Reed's newest book. It's uh, Sleepless City, and it's uh, the Nick Ryan series. And, you know, after Gus Murphy, after Mo Prager, uh, and Jesse Stone, Sleepless City is the first book in the new series featuring, you know, Nick Ryan, this new protagonist. Uh, can you tell folks a little bit about the story in Sleepless City and, and something about Nick? Uh, sure. Uh, Nick, Nick Ryan is a New York City detective uh, who works largely undercover. Um, but he is not a very valued member of the NYPD. Not for anything he had done, but um, his father testified voluntarily at a corruption commission. And if you know anything about the police and the blue wall of silence, you know that that's not something you do. So although Nick himself didn't do it, his father did it. You know, the saying goes, the son of a rat is a rat. And so... While Nick is very competent at his job and very good at his job, he, you know, what he accomplishes is is not all that much in his job. Um, and one day he's approached by forces unknown, by people unknown, to become, let's say, um, the city's shadow warrior. And I don't want to give too much away, but right. Nick is Nick is both a cop and in some ways a classic private eye. And in some ways, I hate to say this because I don't like superheroes. In some way, he's the city's superhero, but not with superpowers, right. just just with competence. That yeah, that's <clears throat> as much as I like, you know, Mo Prager and Gus Murphy. Nick is really a different character than those guys. Um, I mean, he's like you said, he's super competent in his job. He's not kind of learning his way through the system. H how was that 
like to create that kind of a character as opposed to the the folks you've been doing? Well, that's a that's an interesting question because Mo and Gus were uniform cops, and they were very good in the bag in their uniforms. They were very good at their jobs. But then once they got off the job, once they retired, they were never detectives. So the both both of them get drawn one way or the other into being private detectives, um, and they're stumblers because they've never been trained to do the job. And I think you you know this is that it's easy to write stumblers because when you're thrashing about and you don't know how to operate, it makes it easy for the author to put these characters in situations they should never get themselves into. And those are the fun scenes to write. And the audience loves those scenes, you know, when you, when you have your character show up in places like no detective would ever do, no trained detective would ever go there by him or herself. Yet Gus and Mo, they would do that. Right. Nick is a real challenge because he is not a stumbler. He's more than competent. He's right. super competent at his job. And so I had to figure out. And of course, as a writer, the the fun part is working without a net. And I don't outline. So I didn't figure any of this stuff out beforehand. Um, it was fun to, to put a character who knows what he's doing in situations and how could I make that interesting for the reader? And that was, that was a fun challenge. Um, I may not want to do that again, but uh, <laughs> it's interesting to create a character from scratch who's so good at his job. Yeah, and it, 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 he comes off, you know, very competent, very sure of himself. He has a moral compass and yeah, yet he's kind of drawn into this, this gray underworld. Um, you know, there's a line about Sleepless City that says, you know, when, when you're in trouble, you call the cops. And when the cops are in trouble, they call Nick Ryan. Um, even though he's kind of a, a fixer, he does have that moral code, uh, it, doesn't he? I mean, it, it seems yeah. that way. You know, it's funny is he, he's a he's uh, veteran from the Afghan wars. And uh, his moral compass, his code, as as you know, we all like to talk and refer is very different now than when he went into uh the army and i i think i've always believed i i was never in the army i was never served in the military but you know and you've seen around you how combat changes people in fact i've always been curious about man what would the five years after World War II have been like, after seven or 10 million people funneled through the army and a lot of them had seen combat. I mean, I wonder what those five years must have been like. So Nick had comes back and his moral compass is now very different than it was when he went in. Um, so yeah, he has a code and he has a, and it's very, he sticks to it but it's very different than when he went into the army. Right. You have a, one of the things I appreciate about, about your books um, 
is your your characters. I mean, they really stand out. Uh, they're multidimensional. And even though this is the first book with Nick Ryan, we feel pretty quickly like we know who this guy is. Um, and we, we kind of, you know, get invested in his story. You know, how do you go about creating a character? I mean, you've been doing it for 33 novels, so you you, you have I'll get it right eventually. <laughs> yeah, well, I, think, I think you're pretty close. But I, but how do you go about making characters memorable like 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 Nick and, and Mo and Gus? I, I think the secret for me is I you know I've taught writing, which I think is kind of a farce. But when I when I do teach writing, what I talk about is being fearless about mining your own emotional life so that you have to imbue characters like as far as i know i don't know i know you but i don't know how you feel about things and even if i can see the expression of how you feel i can't feel your feelings so where are the, my characters gonna get their feelings from they're gonna come from extrapolations of how i've felt about things and I've always been kind of fearless about looking inside, about holding a mirror up to how my own feelings are. And sometimes I imbue the characters with the fe the way I would have felt. And sometimes I imbue them with how the opposite of how I would have felt or some shade of how I felt. So I think when I think of my characters, I think of them as real people, not as constructs. So when I imbue them with emotion or I imbue them with how they look or how they act, to me, I feel and see them as real people. Um, I've often said that in my books, there's no such thing as a minor character. There are ancillary characters, but there are no such thing as minor characters. Because when I think of even the, the most obscure character in this book who may walk on the stage, you know, on the page for a paragraph, to me, I think of that person as having a full emotional and experiential life. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, I think it has to do with how I see my characters more than any trick that I play with characters. Right. Now, it, it's effective because, I mean... Yeah, I mean, you you're able to just even in the in the prologue of Sleepless City, um, and usually prologues a, a lot of them that I read are just kind of throwaways or just kind of a hint of what's to come. But in this one, you capsulize what Nick Ryan is really about uh, very quickly, so the reader knows where he's pointing and where he's going. There's a line in in the prologue after a an altercation where what good can one one cop do? In, in, a, in a system and that kind of sticks with him and yeah it's very well done and you you manage to kind of plant that seed and it kind of directs him for the rest of the story well i think prologues people don't use prologues correctly yeah to me i i not every one of my books has a prologue uh on an epilogue but for me a prologue is something that has to do with the character or the story but not in a direct not linearly not in a direct line with the story but it says a lot about the character and a lot about the situation so that 
that's what I use the prologue for. And that through line of what does one good cop matter in a city, you know, right. 10 million people, um, that carries through. So if nothing else came through, I'm really glad that you picked up on that because that is in one way a theme of the book is what does one good cop, even great cop, what does that, what, what is he or she going to accomplish? No, very, very true. Um, now, you've, you've mentioned that writing Nick was a little bit more of a challenge, you know, because he is this competent character and isn't stumbling around. But looking back, what has been your most difficult character to pin down and write? Oh, uh, and Jesse Stone, in some ways. I was going to ask, because were you kind of hemmed in by what that character well, was and well i I'll, I'll tell this i've told this story many times so i got offered the gig to write the jesse stone and i said yes without thinking <laughs> of course when someone offers you you know do you want to write a jack reacher you're gonna say nah <laughs> yeah, you're gonna say yes you know you want to yeah. write you know harry bosch nah yeah you know, no, I, I'd rather write in obscurity for the rest of my life. You know, Exactly. So I said yes immediately. I didn't even think about it. And then I realized, oh, my God, I, I actually have to write these books now. How am I going to approach that? So yeah. I spoke to Ace Atkins, who wrote Spencer. And I spoke to S.J. Roseanne, who's, who was kind of a, my mentor, uh, she, though she rejects that. Um, but I trust her a lot yeah. and i spoke to my friend tom shrek i don't know if you know tom tom is a uh, a writer he's a new york state athletic commission boxing judge right, he does right. animal rescues and he's a huge elvis presley fan now you're gonna say what the hell does that have to do <laughs> with writing jesse stone right because i wondered the same thing when he said that to me and he said, I've seen all the greatest Elvis impersonators, but there's some stuff you can never get past. One, they can never do anything new. And two, they're not Elvis. So the minute he said that to me, I knew how I was going to write the books. I wasn't going to imitate Bob Parker because I was never going to be Elvis. I was never going to be Bob Parker. Mm. And I wanted to be able to have the flexibility to do, do some stuff that was new. And that wasn't just me trying to regurgitate what Bob and Michael Brandman before me had done. So that talk with Tom was actually really important. Uh, but then I had to write the character. And the, the problem is he wasn't my character. Whereas Gus and, you know, Mo and Nick and, uh, you know, any other character I've ever written, they were mine. Right. And it's, we, you know, you write a book, it's your character. When it's not your character, it's, a, it's an awesome. And besides, you know, who is this Parker guy, right? I mean, it's, it's a big legacy. Right. So you have to respect the legacy and still do something new. So for me, that first book 
was a really difficult challenge. And that was blind spot? Blind spot, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you did. I think you did did the the series justice. I mean, I I sensed a different tone in it, but I thought the character was true to the to the legacy, but also brought out I think a little bit more depth than than some of the others that I had read. So I think you did a, a great job. And, and that's kind of what I was thinking about that question was, you know, writing a legacy series, you, you're kind of hemmed in. So. Well, you're hemmed in only if you you're hemmed in only if you let yourself be hemmed in and which that's what Tom's that's yeah. why what Tom said to me was so important to me because it gave me the freedom not to be hemmed in. And I did do what I think you should do, which is to respect what came before you, but don't right. be a prisoner of what came before you. That's a good distinction. Thank you for that. Um, since you're, you've, you've had a, a couple of novels under your belt, 30, 33, you must have started when you were 12. Uh, what 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 advice would you offer to writers that are just kind of getting into this business now uh shoot yourself (laughs) (laughs) um you know it's it's funny i obviously you get asked that i get asked that almost anybody who has any kind of established career gets asked that a lot and i i'm i'm of two minds about it Mm-hmm. I say how I got into the business is is doesn't isn't applicable anymore. I I got into the business when there weren't just five publishing houses that owned every imprint on earth. Right. Um there were there were publishing houses that accepted and I, I mean I was first published in 1991. There were uh, you know a lot more independent publishers, a lot of imprints that weren't under one roof um that places that accepted unagented at manuscripts, you know, that's just not, and it's just not yeah. the deal anymore. So I can't give people, you know, this is how you should do it advice, but I do have some ideas of what you should do. You should focus on the work itself. And that will never change that advice. I will take that advice to the grave in that people, new writers tend to throw roadblocks in front of themselves. Oh, I have to build a platform. Oh, I have to do this. I have to do that. And to me, it's no, 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 no. It's about the work. If the work is entertaining and the work is good, someone will notice. But if you worry about and you put your energies into all sorts of ancillary things, the work will suffer. Yeah. And it's about the work. It really is. And so I, I, my best advice is sit your ass down and put the bulk of your energy into your work. Yep. I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, and kind of, kind of piggybacking with that, knowing what you know now and where the industry is, what would you do differently now if you were if you were breaking in? I would use my middle initial instead of my full <laughs> middle name. <laughs> uh, no, that's actually true. As a poet, I'm published as Reed F. Coleman. Um, and Farrell has caused me more heartache <laughs> because my wow. mother misspelled it. And that one L 
Oh my God, you have no idea. Everybody. I've had a publisher misspell my name. So, uh, what would I do differently? You know, I'm not a. I'm not. That's not who I am. I mean, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, um, but you can't undo them. And I've benefited from the mistakes that I made. For instance, I blindly sent out manuscripts when I started out. If somebody had told me, if I had sought advice to, on how to do things, I may never have gotten published. Because wow. I think sometimes people seek too much advice. In fact, one of the roadblocks that I was talking about that new writers throw in front of themselves is asking everybody's opinion and everybody's advice. Just right. do it. Don't ask about it. Um, so I'm sorry if that doesn't really answer your question, but I, I wouldn't undo things because I can't undo things. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of right there with you because we are kind of the sum of all of our experiences and that's what we bring to the work. Yeah. Well, so, I might start taking hair re restoration products a, a little sooner. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll just leave that where, where it is. I think you're, <laughs> you're very recognizable both Thank then you. and now. Um, we'll end with three quick hits, just three quick questions about your character, about Nick Ryan. And uh, we'll start with what's Nick's favorite cocktail? Oh, bourbon. Very expensive. Pappy Van Winkles. Yep. Bourbon. Neat. <laughs> yeah. And I think there was a couple of scenes in McCann's when he was doing just that. Yes. That yes. Yeah. Um, how about his favorite music? See, this, that's, I, I would say his favorite music. He's a secret punk fan. <laughs> I love it. That fits with that time period in Afghanistan and his experience. Yeah, I can see that. How about uh, Nick Ryan's biggest fear? His biggest fear is um, doing the wrong thing, but not the wrong thing as you or I would judge it, <clears throat> but in acting on others' behalf, acting in the wrong way. And that that is his biggest fear. Not his, not his moral compass, but the results, if, if the result turned out badly for the people for whom he's acting on their behalf, he would really be afraid of that. I get it. So, and I'm looking forward to the sequel coming out uh, later later this year. Uh, folks, if you haven't picked up your copy of uh, of Reed's book, uh, Sleepless City, I, I went down to my independent bookstore on the day it was released and snagged my copy. Uh, I always look forward to. Oh, seeing you were the one, Sal. I was the one, and I'll, I'll proudly <laughs> proudly proclaim that. Yeah. Um, no, it's uh, it's always a treat to see what you what you come up with. You're one of my one of my favorites, and uh, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. I hope you had. Uh, Hope you had fun. I know I. Oh no, I, this I is, this was great. I, you know, I I love talking books. I love talking writing. You know, and if you want me back, uh, you know, just send the check and I'll be back. <laughs> I'll I'll get the checkbook out now. It might bounce, but you'll get a check. Well, all right. Um, <laughs> Thanks so much, Reed. I'll I'll see you at Boucher Con, and maybe I'll see you tonight at the uh, awards thing. 
Sounds good. And yeah, good luck for the uh, Book of the Year nomination for Authors on the Air Network. So congratulations. Well, I hope I bribed the right people. I'll, I'll let you know. All right. Take care, Jim. <laughs> Thank you, Reed. Take care, buddy.